Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. The European Union's Digital Markets Act, or DMA, continues to target the United States' top tech companies with EU regulations designed specifically to shackle large American companies with new obligations that potentially harm the data privacy and security of users and their devices. These targeted regulations for companies like Google, Amazon, Apple, and Meta direct them on how to operate their businesses to please European bureaucrats' interest to damage U.S. companies in hopes of creating an EU competitor by reshaping markets through policy mandates rather than fueling global innovation. And now the Biden administration seems intent to follow suit, with their own interest in targeting American technology companies through the Federal Trade Commission, using tactics similar to the EU. In today's podcast, Jim Lewis and I break down the conflicting guidance between the EU and the U.S. and the concerns around how technology companies are supposed to innovate and keep devices and services safe and private under the new EU regulatory rules. Jim Lewis is an internationally recognized expert on technology and cybersecurity. He is currently the Senior Vice President at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, who has authored numerous publications on security and technology. Before joining CSIS, he was a diplomat and a member of the Senior Executive Service. He is known for developing groundbreaking technologies on satellite remote sensing, encryption, high-tech exports to China, and cybersecurity. He also advises government agencies on the security and intelligence implications of foreign investment. Join us as we break down how the EU Digital Markets Act could significantly impact the next generation of digital platforms and American competitiveness. Jim, thank you for being a guest again today on Explain to Shane. A lot to talk about. Great. Thank you, Shane. Absolutely. So we just finished the Munich Security Conference. Seemed like a lot of people decided that security was really important. Good. Except we have this issue. We've got the Digital Markets Act. It's going to come into effect in March. And there's a lot of concern. I know you and I both voiced this, that some of the things that are going to happen with the DMA may not be the best thing for the security of the device, which is near and dear to always very near me all the time. Um, so I feel like we have got some conflicting values and thoughts going on over there with our European friends and colleagues. It's just so complicated to regulate the technology that if you rush in, they by European standards, they rushed in. It's easy to mess things up, right? So that's what happened is that they, some Europeans say they didn't think enough about security, and that's reflected in both the DMA and the DSA. Yeah, it, it that does seem to be the mm-hmm. case the more I dig into it. And I realize I've spent more time looking at Apple and Google. We haven't seen some of the things that I know Amazon's got to come into this as well. I'm also, I just feel like the Europeans are they're kind of, they're having a really good time. And unfortunately, I think parts of the Biden administration seem intent on following suit with their interest in targeting big tech. To what end other than to just ruin all the things that I love? Well, you, you know that uh, the tech hype cycle goes in waves. And so the current wave is AI. But prior to that, it was the badness of big tech, right? And we needed to get it under control. We needed to remember tech lash. When was that? Was that a year ago? I can't tell time since COVID. Yeah. Really. So the European, not without reason, not some of the self-preferencing things, some of the privacy issues, but the Europeans thought uh, we need to push back on big tech. 
there are some in the administration who agree with them. You've got the other situation that there's a strong protectionist element to these actions. Bring them all together and you get it's a little bit of a mess. So other than Spotify, who is it that they're protecting? Well, that's a dilemma. I mean, because they don't they don't have anyone to protect. When they started out with whatever the whatever was before the GDPR, they had a tech industry and piling on regulatory burdens kind of sank it. So they don't have anyone to protect. I mean, ByteDance is in there. Uh, Siemens, I think, is in there. No, Siemens may not be in there, but, um, you know, they're, they're, it's mainly American companies, and it's mainly a concern that, that you have the mix. The Europeans have a very different view of privacy and a little bit of a, a tech envy uh, when it comes to American companies. So it doesn't seem counterintuitive that, People that are very concerned about privacy just passed regulations to actually diminish privacy on probably the most used device that the most consumers use. Europeans are starting to complain about that. And there's an indication that the commission may have a degree of buyer's remorse because they put out a tender for a study on. Oh, oh, what a study, a study on what do they need to do to make DMA more secure. So A little uh, late on the uptake there, but okay. You know, better than nothing. So I think there's a recognition that maybe they maybe they didn't get it quite right. And said- remember, remember, I know this Article 10 of DMA gives them discretion on when and how they impose it. So you may very well see, uh, although it's supposed to come into effect next month, you might see a bit of a lag while they try and figure out how it messes cybersecurity. Yeah, I was looking up the actual date for the when it starts, because I think it's March 6th mm-hmm. or 7th, and mm-hmm. I used the Google machine, as I called it. And it's it, instead, it was giving me information about enforcement activities because it couldn't decide itself what day it was supposed to be. It said that it's a the enforcement is a combination of investigative powers, monitoring mechanisms, and penalties for noncompliance. So it seems like, we know what their priorities are. It's- there's always there's always been a degree of suspicion that part of this was fundraising, because you have ten uh, percent of uh, annual global revenues for a fine, and it's a, not a bad revenue source. So there's there's some the Europeans can dispel that, but there's definitely suspicions. I can understand that. Um, you said in a recent interview that the Europeans are driving the regulatory train because Congress. Mm-hmm can't get its act together and the U.S. hasn't engaged specifically the USTR or anything that the Europeans see this as an opportunity to make a uh, play towards tech giants for European rules. So mm-hmm. is this sort of our fault <laughs> as U.S. American citizens? Well, you know, the the, the old uh, cliche is that nature towards the vacuum. The so, United States really invented privacy, right, both between the original ruling court rulings more than a century ago and then some of the federal privacy legislation privacy requirements for federal agencies of god at this point 30 years ago and then we kind of we kind of lost the bubble and you need a privacy law but congress isn't going to be able to pass one and the europeans they kind of got tired of waiting for us i mean we like to say we like to lead but um we weren't leading on this so they saw an opportunity and took it, and they kind of like it. 
Yeah, no, they're definitely enjoying it. I actually don't have any trouble with the way we cr- we started with healthcare and banking as a priority. Um, I do think we're at a stage where we do need a, a federal, and I hate calling it a privacy law. I think it's data protection, uh, but I, it's just sort of it's a parity issue at this point. And then that's actually another issue we had where USTR just recently walked back um, the, our agreements in the, the WTO on cross border data flow, which seems. Kind of we're going the wrong direction. We were doing so well for a while there with Obama and Trump understanding the global nature of technology. I don't know why we took that step back. The, the theory, so many people are confused in the first week or so after the decision was made. No one could explain it, right? It was mysterious. And even people in the White House couldn't explain it. What it appears to be or the most commonly accepted explanation is that uh, USTR leadership uh, felt uh, empathy with Elizabeth Warren and her views on big tech. Okay. And so you saw this, you know, effort to close down what they saw as creating a space that the previous rules had created a space for big tech to take advantage of. The other thing that has come out of the chatter from the Munich Security Conference is that the Trade and Technology Council is perhaps dead. That there's just, this, they've had a good bunch of shop talks and they've had a good series of trips, but there isn't a strong motion to put this thing forward. I know you and I have talked about how they need to get some action behind some of these things they're doing. What do you think? You know, you you have lived in Washington for a little while and you know that as we get closer to a presidential election, uh, it's impossible to do anything. And so the, the, the air is being sucked out of the room by the election Congress is gridlocked, uh, TTC off to a good start, useful to do it. Uh, and then it was kind of what next? And so they need to answer that question, what next? And it may not be uh, time to start uh, serious negotiations with the Europeans on digital regulations, just because there is there were some successes, you know, uh, on uh, data protection, coming up with a solution to the SHREMS problem. But they've kind of run out of steam. So going back to the question about privacy and security, the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, or OSTP, uh, put an updated taxonomy out last week that said that um, it was around critical and emerging technologies, emphasizing that the U.S. government needs to increase its focus on data privacy and <clears throat> cybersecurity which again goes counterintuitive, in my, at least in my head, uh, to the ability to innovate and manage some of these conflicts that we have, especially the guidance and recommendation that we're talking about when we're talking about DMA and this. So, so who do these companies end up paying attention to? It looks like the Europeans are winning. It's like if you're the legal department, you're going to where you know you've got excess, extremely excessive fines probably coming your direction, even though the U.S. government's giving you guidance, but the guidance isn't binding. So what I think will happen is that. Uh, the companies will develop workarounds that preserves as much as possible of their existing business models. And that's a good thing because we want them, at least I want them to be successful. Uh, There are problems. Uh, No one denies that there are problems. Well, no one except the Ninth uh, Circuit Court denies that there's problems. But you will need to think about how does this affect the ability of the economy to innovate in technology? And the Europeans have trouble with that. So um, this is a battle that's coming down the pike. It probably won't be this year because we have to play with the election. 
but if you follow European regular, I saw a great chart that showed compared. It said if European states, if European countries were American states, where would they rank? And my favorite is France, right? Ranks right below Arkansas. And I mentioned the French people I know. You know, being compared to Arkansas, wonderful place, but being compared to Arkansas economically is not a compliment. Right. The Europeans have trouble with this idea that their regulatory approach, their privacy policies, uh, kill digitization. And they would argue it doesn't, but the data suggests it does. We'll have to wrestle with that as we go down this path, because if we follow European rules without thinking about them, not only will security be potentially compromised, but so will our ability to innovate. Well, we've seen both France and Germany kind of getting a little wanting to change some of the guidance that's come out recently. And I know, I know they also have numerous elections globally, but especially over in Europe. So we're expecting some wholesale changes in their actual leadership. So is part of this a rush to get things done before the door of opportunity closes for them? You know, one of the things that was uh, I never thought I would see would be uh, uh, President Macron of France complaining about overregulation in Europe. Oh, their, their it's tech, a whole new day. <laughs> hurting their tech industry. So they're beginning to get the message, but this is complicated. Our old approach, which was do nothing and hope for the best, no one's going to buy that anymore. Their approach, security be damned, innovation be damned, that's probably not going to fly either. And they would argue, of course, no, no, we thought about it. We we will protect innovation. That's kind of magical thinking. So this is a hard problem. I, I, I give them credit for trying, but we're going to need to take a step back and we're going to have to redo this at some point. You're nicer than me. I don't give them credit. Um, you also mentioned in an interview that you said we are in an era of digital colonialism, and you uh, referenced the EU's regulation about American tech companies towards that. What do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah. uh, how many people did you vote for in Brussels? You personally? None. I've, I think None. I paid some of their salaries, but I didn't get a vote for yeah. them. And so you have the European Parliament elected by Europeans. You have the European Commission appointed by European governments. We didn't get a say. So you have people. I feel like I'm a District of Columbia license plate. It's regulation without representation, right? So, you know, it would be nice to have a voice in this. And Commerce and others, USTR in the past, could have argued we interact with our European counterparts, but um, interact without effect, I'd say. And so that's what it means is – we are having regulations imposed on us by a foreign entity. Yeah, that was, that was an interesting one. And then how is it going with them in, in Asia, especially China these days? Because I know we were very concerned from the kind of security around 5G equipment, Huawei and ZTE. And I'm not quite sure where we're, if that got better or worse. Maybe it's gotten a little better. But there's a lot of other things going on that should give them some pause about China. The, the, so the, the Diplo speak would be, this is a very complex relationship. Um, and, uh, the Europeans are actually moving in our direction when it comes to China. I've talked to some senior European officials who say uh, the commission had a conversion experience and some of it was finding how deeply the Chinese were spying on them. Oh. Some of it was when they realized that Chinese car companies heavily subsidized by the Chinese state. We're going to eat European car companies' lunch, always important in Brussels. But they've, they've moved in the direction of the same approach to China that the U.S. has, that they're, they're a competitor who doesn't play by the rules, and you need to think about how to 
restrain them. So on China, weirdly enough, so that's what I mean. On, on DMA, DSA, we are very far apart. On anti-competitive measures, uh, we're far apart. On China, we're actually closer than we've ever been. Oh, okay. Ray of, ray of hope there. Yeah, and I asked uh, uh, a visiting senior official from European government, I said, well, sure, you're on our side now because of the war in Ukraine. When Ukraine's over, will you go back to the old sort of pro-China approach? And this person said, uh, no, that there's been a fundamental shift in European thinking. Hmm. Uh, and some of the current leadership in Europe deserves credit for that. Uh, it's, I've been over the weekend, I was reading quite a bit about, um, just sort of what's going on in artificial intelligence, but globally. And one of the interesting things is that so many of the learning language models are really, uh, English based. And so mm-hmm. trying to figure that out and play catch up. And, you know, we've seen that with China and their challenges, the great firewall. So they're going to have, you know, not, not as broad of information flows, but I was fascinated that Saudi Arabia has heavily invested in bringing the Chinese down to, um, you know, to the Middle East and said, you're going to teach us people. Like they're basically taking a page out of China's book. Like, all right, you're going to bring, we're going to give you investment. You're going to teach us how to do this. And then the other thing is having the BRICS all together. And maybe in this case where, you know, the uh, BRIC, the S in BRICS used to stand for South Africa. I'm beginning to think now it stands for Saudi Arabia because they're showing up with a gigantic checkbook. They, they have so so many new members in BRICS that they've had to Expand change the it. acronym. Right. Yeah, it's now BRIC Caramba. Oh. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, the, well, there's two things going on. The first, the Saudis for years have been trying to figure out how do we get off oil? How do we have a, a sustainable economy that isn't oil It's not golf? Economy? Golf isn't enough? Uh, that was a start. But <laughs> okay. uh, they, they, you know, they made a little progress, but they're still worried about it because they have a huge youth population and not enough jobs for them. So they would love for the Chinese to come in and help. The second thing going on is if you look at venture capital money, there's really only two places in the world that have it, the United States and the Persian Gulf. So between the, the Chinese who want to show up, uh, it's financing for them that they can't get here anymore. And the Saudis will want the Chinese because it will help them with this, what do we do after oil issue? Now, admittedly, it's been more than a decade that the Saudis have been worrying about what do we do after oil? And, you know, they still are getting the money, but they, they need a different, they, they can't just be an extractive country anymore. And they know that. So uh, they invite us, they invite the Chinese, they don't invite the Europeans, which is interesting, but um, that's what they're doing. That is interesting. Well, things we have a lot to walk, you know, 2024, besides being a heavy election year, there's going to be a lot of politicking going on in the diplomacy area. Any um, thoughts, things on the horizon, last things to discuss? You know, I'm eager to see what the uh, the reaction to DMA going into effect is. My bet is that the companies will figure out a way to comply with it that's minimally, minimally invasive, as they say in surgery. Uh, because, you know, if, if European regs worked, uh, they would have a tech industry and they don't. You've also got the Europeans now, the Germans, the French, some of the others figuring out, hey, we need to we need to change what we're doing. The member states have figured that out. I'm not sure Brussels has. So it's, it's going to be an exciting year as we watch people try and figure this out. The Chinese are in a different position. I mean, their, their model uh, subsidized companies heavily to make them competitive. They're having trouble holding that together. 
right? China's had real trouble. So the, the outcome of all this is, um, although China's a competitor, although the Europeans can be uh, overly regulatory, the U.S. somehow still has the magic formula that lets it succeed. And I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty sure it doesn't come from Washington, but I'm not quite sure what it is. So hopefully that will continue. We'll see what happens. American ingenuity. All right. Well, Jim, thank you for being a guest again today on Explain the Chain. I always love our conversations. <laughs> it's good to know you spend the weekend studying international relations. <laughs> it gives me something to think about. That's right. Thank you for listening to another episode of Explain to Shane. For more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred listening platform. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in. We'll see you on the next episode of Explain to Shane.